Thanks for tuning in today. It's Kevin with Bison Moon Group, Reach of the Moon Podcast. I've got Charles Vantanagel. Did I say that right? Yeah, Vantanagel. Yeah, that's pretty close, Kevin. That's pretty close, Vantanagel. He's a doctor and owner of Inbalance Family Chiropractor based out of Leduc, Alberta. Um, how long have you been in practice for? I've been in practice since uh, 2005, so 14 years. And I guess it's a strange question, but how did you get started, or how did you decide to become a doctor? Uh, Well, I always knew that I was going to be a doctor of some type. I just didn't know uh, what type of doctor. And I was an athlete when I was, um, you know, going through high school, university. Uh, It just seemed like the the next natural step was stay in that realm, but in a different capacity. Anybody in your family a doctor? Uh, yes, yeah, I've got a younger brother who's a, a family doctor. He's uh, currently practicing out of Calgary, and he's uh, uh, an instructor, so he instructs other um, doctors who want to be family doctors. In your practice, are there any other doctors in the office? Oh, um, no, I'm at the moment I'm a solo practitioner. I used to have a multidisciplinary practice uh, that included acupuncturists, um, massage therapists. Uh, I actually still have yoga instructors that work with me. As the owner, what do you do when uh, you need a day off or you're sick? Well, I mean, I think that's the beauty of being self-employed. You know, I, I have full control over my schedule. Um, so, you know, let's say, for example, this time of the year, uh, I try to condense my working hours into three to four days a week. Uh, that allows me to do at least a day or so of an administration, and that's, you know, doing medical legal reports, um, contacting insurance companies, uh, working with WCB, things like that. So uh, my practice isn't uh, like a high-volume practice, so that gives me the, the flexibility to you know, pick up my daughter when I need to or take the day off, things like that. When you looked into becoming a doctor, did you write on a business plan for your practice, or did you do that at a certain point? Yeah, when we were in college, uh, part of our program is a little bit of uh, business stuff. It's taught by uh, a lawyer. And the, um, the the course basically teaches us how to develop a business plan. Uh, so, you know, I took that business plan that I developed with a bunch of my classmates in school, uh, refined it for my specific needs, and then sat down with a lawyer and an accountant and did all the fine detail stuff. And then started approaching banks to, you know, try to uh, secure funds to start my practice. Who suggested that you went through a lawyer for a business plan? Yeah, um, well, it, part of it was that I needed to have, uh, you know, someone co-sign my my loans for me. Um, just, you know, because I didn't have collateral, right? I came out of school in 2005 with significant debt. So uh, most banks weren't willing to work with me at that point in time. But with a co-signer, you know, it was, it was a breeze. What was the hardest part about starting up the business? It's like this for most of us. Uh, when we graduate from school, we really don't have any, we don't have a reputation unless we move back to where we're from. I'm certainly not from this area, but uh, my, my mom lived in this area. So when I considered you know, moving back to Alberta and starting practice, it seemed like the, the, the next natural step. We're close to a large city. We've got an airport. Um, yeah, it just had everything that I was looking for. And I, I've lived in big cities before. Like, I've lived in Toronto. I've lived in Thai, um, just outside of Taipei. Uh, I've been to a lot of big cities, and I thought that's what I wanted. But ultimately, uh, I was looking for a small city, and it just happened to be Leduc because uh, I always tell people it's the right type of busy. Do you find 
being a doctor and being in Leduc that there's any type of oil or Alberta advantage? Uh, yeah, you know, when when the economy was really strong uh, before we, we hit our couple of recessions there, I, deal, I, I dealt with a lot of um, the companies here in NISCU. So that's where my my page, or sorry, my practice is based out of, and um, you know a lot of these businesses have wonderful healthcare plans for their uh, for their labor force. So you know, yeah, it wasn't there wasn't any financial barrier to care or maintenance type of care, but when the economy went south, um, you know, people started being laid off or their wages were being cut. Uh, one of the first things I noticed was that a lot of my patients started cutting back on on their care here in our office or even you know the type of services that they were they were coming to the office for last time you and i were talking on the phone um you're talking about how people kind of neglect the smaller stuff what do you think people start to neglect once they reach tough times yeah uh i think it's their health to be honest i've, I've been doing this for 14 years i've seen it uh, on several occasions where when money gets tight with families, um, they cut back on all the healthy stuff, you know. And and I've I have several, I've I've got several populations of patients that come here. So I've got 90 year olds, 80 year olds, and so on. Um, you know, people that have come to understand that they they can't sacrifice their health uh, when they're trying to make money. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, some of the oil field workers that I see that have been on the rigs all their life, uh, guys that have jumped on and off of trucks that have blown out their knees over the years, uh, they try to communicate that that knowledge to the young guys that are working on the, the rigs, you know, not to jump out of their trucks because they're going to pay for it. But the reality is you don't really know until you know, uh, until you get there. And what I tell patients all the time is when we see things on images, we can't make that stuff go away. You know, it's, it's there, it's there permanently unless it becomes a, a surgical um, a surgical condition. What's a strategy that you've listed as an owner to try to get more customers or customers the right message? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it, it starts off with results. So I'm a, an evidence-based practitioner. My goal is essentially, I, I hope it's the same goal that most patients have when they come into my office, and that's resolution of their complaints. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, no matter how hard you try, you just can't outrun aging. So these things, you know, 100% resolution doesn't last, you know, a lifetime. Uh, but nagging complaints that are inappropriately managed, uh, those things, you know, can last a long time until it's until a patient and a practitioner invests the time and energy into making those things essentially disappear. Diving into the practice of the actual business, what's a cost that you didn't really plan for? Yeah, uh, well, I knew that starting my practice was going to be fairly expensive. But, um, you know, I, I didn't really factor in, like, the taxes that I would have to, that would, I would have to pay for. Uh, so corporate taxes, of course, and then my own personal taxes as uh, an employee of my own practice. So just it's something that I certainly didn't factor in as my practice began to grow and uh, I started generating more revenue. The, the amount of money that I would have to pay in, in taxes as a, you know, self-employed entrepreneur here in Alberta. In the practice, how many uh, patient rooms do you have? 
Yeah, here currently in my office, I have four four patient rooms. So one of uh, one of my rooms I use primarily for examinations and um, some therapies or some modalities. And another room I have um, a spinal decompression or a, a you know, computerized traction table, and that's also doubles as my uh, my exercise therapy room. And then I have another room that is for our yoga instructors, some massage therapists, and acupuncturists. And then I have an automated massage table that uh, that occupies another room. What do you think the average cost is to set up a room? Um, geez, that's a tough question. It depends on what type of equipment you have. When I first started off in my practice, I borrowed about $45,000, and that was to get me two tables, uh, a few electrical modalities, and some basic exercise you know, rehab equipment. And that was all I could afford at the time. Uh, and then, of course, um, you know, some funds to uh, aid in operating costs. Do you wish you had like some extra funds, or do you think 45000 was enough to get the business up and running? Oh, no, absolutely. If I had a chance to do this again, I would do it differently. I probably would have ended up leasing my equipment and then starting starting off much bigger than I started. But as a, you know, as a, uh, a new grad, um, I didn't, I wasn't prepared to take a lot of risks just because I was coming out with some significant debt and I had no reputation uh, moving to this area and trying to establish my my own practice, I, I just didn't want to. I didn't want to take a whole lot of risk, so I pl- I played it fairly safe. And then over time, I built a name for myself, and uh, here I am. Right. How many years were you in school for? Yeah, I did uh, uh, general studies at the University of Calgary for a year, and then I did four years towards my bachelor of science degree. Um, took a couple of years off of school just to, you know, to work and pay down some loans. Um, and then I ended up moving to Toronto and did a four years, uh, in my graduate studies as a, uh, as a chiropractor. So do you think it's worthwhile for somebody else coming up in the industry now to, I guess, undergo the burden of the school and the costs? How much debt did you leave school with? Well, I, you know, I had six figures in debt when I, when I graduated. Uh, but at that, at that time, I was, you know, graduating from school. I was about 28 years old, going on 29. Uh, I was ambitious, hardworking. I knew that I would eventually pay off that, that debt. Um, but would I ever recommend, you know, going into this? I think it really depends. There are some people that are meant to, you know, work for others, work in a team environment, and then there's others that are meant to be entrepreneurs. Um, to be honest, I'm not quite sure where I fit in all of that. I've I've worked for other companies before, um, but you know, working here as a solo practitioner, I've got a lot of flexibility. You know, and and it was it was it was a tough go, to just put it that way. It was a really tough go. Um, and I know that I've got colleagues of mine that did the same thing that say the exact same thing, you know, looking back, they probably would, they wouldn't do it again. And in a way I kind of feel that way. Uh, but I'm also here now and I feel like I've, you know, I've been successful. So, you know, maybe I would do it again. I'm not quite sure. When I met my wife, uh, we were together for two weeks before I spent almost $15,000 on the equipment that I bought for my business. Where, did you already know your wife uh, while you were in school, or was that something where you met her afterward? Well, interesting story. My wife and I have known each other since uh, my kindergarten class. I went to kindergarten with her b- older brother, 
so we've known each other for quite a long time. But little did I know uh, back in high school that she would eventually, you know, become my wife. Uh, after graduation, she, when when I was in grade 12, she was in grade 9. But after graduation, we went our separate ways. And then 14 years later, we ended up um, hooking up on Facebook. So just kind of, you know, meet and greet and catch up on what's happened uh, over the last 14 years type of thing. So, no, we, were, we weren't, you know, involved in any way when I was going through uh, university and college. So I guess where I was heading with that question um, is, was she okay with your personal debt taking a role as business debt? Yeah, uh, I would say she was. Because, you know, she saw how many hours I put into it all, right? And as a business owner, you know, I'm the first person here and the last person to leave typically. Um, you just do what you have to do. So, you know, on a lot of my late nights, my wife never you know, texts me or phones me wondering where I am because she knows exactly where I am. She knows exactly what I'm doing. I provided for the family for many years. Um, you know, this office has provided my family with a lot. Um, I've got wonderful support from my patients, you know, so no, it was, it's never been, it's never been a question. No, that's cool. I fully have the backing of my wife as well. Um, but for the first year she hadn't, couldn't wrap her head around exactly what I was doing. And now sometimes I feel like she's leading the charge. Not that I'm not, but, uh, it's cool how they take a main role, but they're in the background. Yeah, I, I would say that my wife does the same thing, you know, that, that support means a lot. I never feel like I'm in a rush. Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, last night I had uh, sort of a last-minute WCB case from the Edmonton International Airport, uh, an employee there. And, um, you know, to see the patient and do those types of clinical things, that I, I've got down. I've been doing that for years. But then to sit down afterwards and, and do up a WCB report takes time. It takes time to, um, you know, go through that file and communicate that that uh, information to the caseworker. So by the time I left this office last night, it was close to 10 o'clock. And when I got home, you know, it's she never nags. Uh, she's not really concerned. She just knows that I'm doing what I need to do to to make sure that you know I keep managing my patients and managing my office. What's something that you didn't quite expect as a business owner that you have to wrap your head around um, that you might not be the best at, even though patient care is number one? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I, I would say managing person personnel or staff, hiring and managing. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm that type of boss that I'm really, I try not to be a boss. Uh, everybody that I've ever worked with, they went to school to do what they do. They know what they're doing. Um, we try to function here as a, as a team. So, you know, I, I try not to micromanage. Uh, I'm just, I've never, I've never had any formal education on managing, but what I found really difficult was um, managing personalities. Uh, hiring, you know, the right personality to fit into the the team that I had. So, and then I think I would like to think that a lot of people have the difficulties letting people go because when you let someone go or you hire someone, you're essentially affecting someone's life. So that's that's probably been the toughest thing that I've had to deal, or one of the toughest things I've had to deal with here in my office. It sounds funny. It's not really something people talk about. How many people have you fired in one year, or how many people have you hired? Wow. Uh, I'd say 
well, unfortunately, about five years ago, I let my entire team go. And, you know, I'm not quite sure exactly what the reasons were, but I was having some some family uh, tragedies. Uh, my sister-in-law had passed away, and then six months later, my mom passed away. And at the time, I had to, you know, um, make an emergency trip out to Thailand uh, to deal with my mom's legal affairs and some medical stuff. Uh, so at the time, I think I, I was probably under some significant stress and some things were going awry here in the office. So I decided to deal with it by just letting my entire team go. Uh, it seemed like it was the right move at the time, you know, and, and now I'm just having a difficult time committing to hiring because I just don't want to go through the exact same thing again. So, I've yeah, I've been non-committal to my office. I've com- committed to my patients, but I haven't committed anything to my office and my practice. If you could get a golden nugget kind of hidden under your pillow, what's the one thing you would ask for? Uh, to help the practice? Um, I could ask for one thing. It would be to hire all all those practitioners back. Not the exact same practitioners. They're wonderful people. Uh, but just those services back here in my office. And, you know, hire them back in a way that I would have very little input. Um, whoever would be doing the hiring just knew exactly what would fit with my patients that come to my office. So, yeah, that if I can have that done. And that, that's why I haven't been committed to growing my practice because I would have to spend a lot of time interviewing again and, and then trying to find the right personalities to fit with, one, my patients, and then two, with all the other people that are, would work here. I sat down and interviewed 10 people for my business uh, last week, set somebody up on Monday. Uh, today we're talking, it's Wednesday. Tuesday I said, call me at 8 o'clock. I called them at 10 o'clock and I said, I haven't heard from you yet. And they said, oh, sorry, I'm going to call you here. Let's get things going. And I never heard from them the rest of the day. So the next day I called them and I said, sorry, I'm no longer interested in hiring you. Have a good day. Um, It's so true. It's hard to hire people. It is hard hiring people. Uh, You know, I I need what I've been looking for. And I've, I've been talking to uh, other people that have the exact same issue. I've been looking for exceptional. You know, I understand that when we graduate from school or most of us graduate from school, we come out with some significant debt and we're motivated to get rid of that debt. And in our line of work, it's not the quality of care that you provide. Uh, You know, I think that's the belief. It's the number of patients that you see. Uh, so it's the volume of people that you see. But in my practice, I've always prided myself on the quality of care, not the quantity or the, the number of patients that I see. Uh, that happens over time. Um, so I'm looking for that. You know, if I could uh, duplicate myself, I would duplicate myself um, in you know up to several times. And I think I would have a successful business. I, I'm looking for that person who's going to show up uh, you know, on time, uh, put all the, the same type of work and effort, uh, you know, into the practice as they did as students uh, to get to this stage. And then, um, you know, that person that stays behind because they want to, not because they're being asked to. And I, I, I don't find that in the people that I interview. I find that, um, you know, a lot of the people that I interview just want to know how much they're going to make and uh, how many patients I'm going to pass along to them. Um you know, their hours of operation, and that's it. And that's not what I'm interested in. I've had patients over the past 14 years that have, you know, started with me from the beginning, and they trust my 
yeah, they trust my judgment. So, you know, I'm not willing to compromise that, right? I completely understand what you're saying, and I think people are driven differently nowadays. I always feel like when I work for somebody, I was willing to fire myself for the better of the company because of my drive. Kind of on a minor note, how can I help you reach the moon? Well, I think that, you know, when we we first initially talked, I I thought it was, I, I really appreciated the opportunity to talk about my my own business you know i think that it's the the exposure that uh, you know that i get from your listeners or i get your listeners listening to uh you know the way that i manage my practice uh whether or not any of those people would ever um come to my practice you know that's not really a concern of mine but it's just the opportunity to uh, at least voice the way that some some people practice. And I, I know of several of my classmates that continue to practice this way because, yes, I still have to provide for my family, but it, money or revenue does not motivate me each and every day. You know, if I see one patient in a day, um, I know that I've, I've done my best and I've had a good day. Uh, there have been days where I haven't. You know, the phone hasn't rang. I don't have any patients booked. Um, that really doesn't worry me. You know, the types of things that we, or chiropractors, physiotherapists, uh, manual therapists see on a regular basis, that's not in short supply. So it was the opportunity to, you know, to um, do this podcast with you and then uh, get some feedback and, and, you know, listeners, right? Just people aware of where I am, what I do. I think that's really interesting. It's something that I've learned in the last four years is some people can expand, some people can make two bucks but push a hundred of them through, and some people can just sit back on their heels and do one big job for the same amount of money. Um, You know what I mean? And I find Alberta kind of operates like that, where some people sit back and make noise in the weeds, and other people will just park all their equipment, park all their staff, and they won't move again until they get that million-dollar job. And in the meantime, all the employees suffer. So it's nice to hear somebody else that is taking care of their means but hasn't lost track of the reality of taking care of people. Um, do you have a mentor, anybody that you work with in town or somebody that... Uh, you work with as a colleague? Yeah, you know, I I do. Uh, we haven't been in contact as much as uh, we used to when I was in the early stage of my practice. Uh, but yeah, I have uh, several colleagues of mine that, uh, you know, on occasion I would call and pick their brains about, uh, you know, the difficulties I was having in practice, both the 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 stuff that I do as a chiropractor, but then the other stuff about running my practice. So I've got a friend of ours um, that used to own United Carpet up in Fort McMurray. And when I was first starting my practice, I would call him up every once in a while uh, to sort of pick his brain about how he started United Carpet up there. And it was essentially, you know, um, with his own two feet, walking from door to door, letting people know that this is what he does. And so uh, everywhere I've been, you know, eventually I get asked, what do you do for a living? 
And when you tell people that you're a chiropractor, the next thing they tell you is something about their bodies, whether their knees hurt, their backs hurt, their wrists hurt, and so on. Uh, so I, it wasn't that hard to, you know, talk about what I do. And, and to this very day, I still do. Um, you know, it, it's hard to, I think, go and do this alone, and especially when there have been, there's been people, uh, other practitioners have started and they've gone through all the same uh, difficulties uh, that can share that information. So if when I'm talking to uh, younger therapists now, uh, I always you know, always advocate that they find somebody that's been in practice for several years, and pick their brains so that they don't make the same mistakes and they don't learn the hard way. Uh, I wish I would have started much earlier than I did, but I didn't. I thought um, you know the plan that I had going forward was a solid plan. But of course, uh, as an entrepreneur, you you have to take risks, and there's certainly lots of ups and downs uh, before you get you know you become quote unquote successful. So yeah, I I certainly do have mentors that I uh, call upon. I like the fact that you looked at a different industry completely for guidance. How often do you go back and review your financial plan that you made or your business plan? And what's a pitch that you've made to somebody in the near future to expand? or even just being in a trade show or something? Yeah, well, in terms of the reviewing the financial stuff, it's a yearly thing. I, I really lean on my accountants to uh, you know, give me some idea on how to trim or move forward, plan for things. Um, because, of, of course, as an entrepreneur, I'm, I'm looking at the business aspect. I'm also looking at the personal aspect. Uh, you know, because being self-employed, I've I've got to contribute. Uh, you know, contribute to my own retirement. Um, no one else is doing it for me. You know, I, the plan is at the moment to essentially uh, diversify a little bit. Um, you know, not spend as much time in my practice as I have over the years, and start to travel abroad a little bit to do work. So mostly speaking engagements, you know, as it relates to some of the things that I do in my office. That's cool. I like the idea of diversifying into speaking engagements. I'm sure there's a broad uh, community out there that's willing to learn. Do you find you have any competition in Leduc itself, or do you find you have more competition at Edmonton? Well, geez, there's a lot of uh, you know, there's a lot of physios and, and chiros in this area. Um, I'm not quite sure how many are in Leduc, and I'm not quite sure how many are in Beaumont. But to be honest, I don't really see those practices as competition. Uh, when I certainly can handle uh, certain cases that I triage over the phone, there's a number of different clinics that I refer to. Uh, I might not have met all of these practitioners uh, personally, but I've heard about their work. Uh, I'm confident in what the, that they do, and it's a part of it is their profession. But then it's also just hearing from other patients and their experiences. So yeah, I don't really, I've never really seen other practitioners, uh, whether they're chiros, physios, massage therapists, acupuncturists, as uh, competition. You know, I think we're all trying to do the same thing, and that's help people, help people in our community. Um, yeah. So you know, I, I don't see any anybody here in our our area as being competition. Charles, I really appreciate you sitting down with me. Is there anything else that you want to touch on? That part of the discussion when we talked about what people sacrifice when the economy, you know, goes goes south, because that's that's something I definitely wanted to talk about, and I think that uh, you know I did a decent job of talking about that because it's it's so true. I I have over two thousand patients that come to my office, and whenever there is something that 
that happens to our economy like this, whether there's a new government or we're in a recession, people sacrifice their health. And, you know, you know as well as I do that each and every day goes by so fast, you can't get it, you can't get that day back. So I try to suggest to the patients that I see regularly, you know, make an impact on your health. And that's finding the balance between work and play, you know, that work-life balance. And so it changes all the time. And it's that constant struggle to try to find that balance. So, you know, you can't, you can't actually, I used to, when I was in college, I would go to the gym five, six days a week. But now that I'm in my forties and I have a you know, young family at home, I don't have that time to invest in the gym, uh, you know, five or six days a week. So I go three days a week. And there's some, some weeks when I can only fit in a workout or two, or I can fit in a run. Uh, so it's, it's that constant struggle to find work-life balance. So as I've aged in my practice, and I've seen my patients age as well, um, we, we talk often about that particular concept of just constantly trying to find work-life balance. Uh, another thing that um, you know, I wanted to mention was I once had a patient of mine, an older patient of mine, say to me, that uh, you know he was never in any rush to change what was good, and I find that that's that's something that uh, rings true to me on a regular basis. I have worked so hard to get to this point in my life, uh, you know, like most of us do, and I'm not necessarily coasting, but at the same time, I'm not willing to to make drastic changes, you know. So I've got an eight-year-old daughter at home, and uh, the first four years of her life, I worked part time. And I always said to my wife then that, you know, it, it was because there was parts of her life that I'm never going to be able to get back. You know, so when she was a, you know, a baby to a toddler and so on. Uh, but now that she's in school full time, I'm I'm working hardcore. I'm here all the time. Uh, but of course, on the weekends, you know, it's it's all it's mostly family time. And I try to convey that same message to patients on a regular basis because we really don't know how long we're on this planet for. That's the truth. That is so true. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's just, uh, I, I lost my dad at the end of March. And uh, five years before that, I lost my mom suddenly to brain cancer. Uh, so, you know, I just, there was a part of me that was optimistic and thought that this couldn't happen to our family, right? We weren't destined for that. And when my sister-in-law I uh, was diagnosed with cancer, reality smacked me in the face, and I realized that, you know, I'm not immune to any of that stuff. My family's not immune to any of that stuff. And then six months later, after she passed away, my mom passed away, and now five years later, my, my father, uh, you know, sort of suddenly passed away. So I value all the things that I have in my life, um, and I'm in no rush to, to change what's good. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. It's all part of, uh, and I, I, yeah, I think you really touched on everything, uh, good and bad, about being an owner. Um, how patients can influence your life, and how your life influences your patients. Well, absolutely. You know, the the other thing I don't think we we chatted much about was, uh, you know, I, I think when we first started talking, um, we talked a little bit about marketing. You know, and I certainly do use the social social media platforms. But the best form of marketing in my office has been word of mouth. When I have the ideal patient that is 
you know, coming to get something resolved, has worked hard for it, and then thinks of me first when they have an injury or minor ache and pain. Those, in my opinion, are quality patients. Uh, I haven't had to sell them on anything. Um, And those are the type of people that sort of attract those types of people. So when someone complains about their aches and pains at a dinner party or, you know, a, a baseball outing or something, uh, my name gets mentioned and then I get a phone call. And sometimes, uh, you know, that the distance between contemplation and action could be qu- quite long. Uh, they might not call right away, but at some point in time, those people tend to call and, you know, tell me that they heard about me. Uh, they come on in and, and re- that positive relationship begins the moment that they walk into the office. So word of mouth, uh, you know, I can measure that, but I can't necessarily measure uh, those people that find out about me through the paper or, um, you know, from our website, uh, you know, those types of things. It was hard to measure that. But when someone says, you know, it's so-and-so that you saw last year or a year ago or whatever uh, told me to come to your office, that I can measure, right? How many of those people are referring patients to my office? It's it's crazy with my little business, how many people save my phone number um, in their phone for two years or three years, Um I, I honestly will have a two-minute conversation. Like, I'll actually remember meeting them two years ago. And all of a sudden, three, four years later or whatever, it'll be like, hey, remember being at my house? And I'm like, yeah, I do. That's weird. And he's like, yeah, I got more work for you. And it's like, wow, I can't believe you saved my phone. Um, I want to say I've probably done 15 jobs in the last month where the people have had my phone number for over two years. So it's word of mouth is pretty interesting, and it's cool once you start to see your um, s- statistics well you know you, you said something really interesting during the um, the initial interview and it was about you know, companies making large transactions um, you know and that's how they operate and they can sit around until another big job comes along uh, and the employees suffer for it when they're just sitting around well here in, the, in my office I can I can rely upon the number of patients that I see each and every month. But when things are really good, uh, you know, I'm certainly, I'm obviously making a lot more. Um, I don't have a lot of big ticket item, you know, things like that in my office. Uh, my visits tend to last, you know, if it's a manipulation visit, 15, 20 minutes. If it's a regular subsequent visit, it's usually about, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, and if it's an extended visit, it can be 45 minutes to an hour. Um, so, you know, like one of my patients once said to me, it doesn't matter how good you are, but you're only going to make so much money uh, with your own two hands. So what he was getting at, uh, and he's a large, you know, large business owner, is that I, I'm limited to the amount of income this office can make because of the number of people I've had here in my office. And I've tried in the past, and I do have a few things where they are large ticket items, things like orthotics or weight management programs uh, where it's a large lump sum, and then I'm guaranteed three months' worth of work, right? That type of thing. Uh, I'll give you another example. When patients come in and they've had uh, total knee replacements, I'm looking at potentially three months to six months' worth of of consistent work. Uh, But at the same time, when I take on cases like that, I don't have room for all the other patients. I can only see so many patients in a day when I have to manage a patient like that. So one of the things, the golden nugget question that you asked, uh, if I could somehow, 
you know, have large you know, ticket items in my office and do it with, with uh, you know, where it's evidence-based, right? So I know that when I, I fall asleep at night that I've, I haven't stolen someone's time and money. You know, I'm not sure if I explained that properly, but uh, yeah, I just don't have any of that stuff. No, that's really cool. Um, see, and I, I feel like you're talking from your heart um, and your actual mind, you know what I mean, kind of what's inside. And I think that's the point of me doing this is to get your inside thoughts out. Um, because when you talk to your career counselor in high school, you don't think about all this conversation. So No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't think that, you know, I don't... In my own experience, it wasn't planned out in this way. You know, all the things that I've learned uh, through trial and error as an entrepreneur, I was never taught. Um, I had to make those errors. I, you know, sitting down with my accountant and realizing that there was things that I was doing wrong. Uh, so, for example, you know, paying for my taxes, I should have been paying for them quarterly, as opposed to monthly. And that was a l- large sum of money that was exiting my bank account each and every month to cover the taxes for my, my income every month. So, you know, little did I know, but now I know, and now I manage my office or my, my practice very differently, right? Uh, yeah, you know, when I go to see my dentist, uh, everything that I get done in my dentist's office gets itemized and charged to my insurance company. I typically don't ever see a bill at the end of it. Sometimes I do, uh, and it tends to be, you know, a reasonable, uh, reasonable bill, so a couple hundred bucks type of thing. Uh, here in my office, if I itemized everything that I did, that becomes a barrier to care. And you know, it's, what's interesting about the the financial aspect of private practice is that when you when you go through the uh, the healthcare system, the provincial healthcare system. There's no out of out of pocket expense. Uh, you often have people demanding services because they think it's appropriate, and then you have doctors that uh, you know determine whether or not it is appropriate. Here in my office, I I get patients who don't continue care because there's a financial barrier, and not just time, but you know out of pocket expense. If it were if we were incorporated into the healthcare system. The provincial healthcare system. I don't think that that would be uh, uh, an issue. I think that offices like ours would be turning uh, turning over more revenue. So another example on that is when I have WCB cases, I see patients that are patients of mine here at the office, but they have a workplace injury. Now there's no barrier to no financial barrier to care. They'll come as regularly as you ask them to for that particular complaint, and they'll resolve the way that they should resolve, uh, you know, being cared in that way. Uh, when there's a motor vehicle, you know, case, again, insurance is paying for it. There's no barrier, no financial barrier to care. Patients will attend their visits. But the moment it's out of pocket, that changes everything. And that's the unfortunate part. And I think that's why I was saying that, uh, you know, when times are tough, people sacrifice their health, unfortunately. And when they get older, and I've seen it happen with lots of my patients that have done this, they come back to the office, and now they need you to fix it. But unfortunately, when it's there, there is no fixing. You know, it's mostly managing at that point in time. That's the total truth. I just slowed down a job where all I did was sit there all day and bounce down the road. And I can't believe how much better I feel like a week away from that um, stagnant, or stagnant um, sitting. 
now that I'm moving around, I just feel so much looser. Well, human bodies were meant to move. We're we're not meant to be, you know, seated for long periods of time. Um, my older patients will attest to it. You know, of course, uh, they've got their aging joints, uh, but once they get moving, they feel pretty good. And uh, if they stay moving, they feel pretty good. If they do too much, they don't feel great. Uh, I try to convey that message to all my patients. But, you know, the, the patient population that I'm most successful with and essentially is the legacy that I'll leave behind are the younger patients that come to my office. So that you're a soccer player, baseball player, you know, um, hockey players and so on. These young kids that come to my office, uh, we resolve their complaints or I, you know, help them resolve their complaints. And then I try to instill in them, you know, what it feels like to be youthful. Because I think we take it for granted as we're going through that process. And then once we reach our, you know, let's say 30s or 40s, and it becomes noticeable that our bodies are aging, um, you know, it's not pathological. It's just, it's a part of the aging process. Uh, We can combat that. We can combat that with being, you know, capable of doing all the things we enjoy doing. But when, in my my own practice, whenever the weather changes, so from winter to spring to summer, the activities change. And when the activities change, the physical demands of those activities um, change. And patients then call me up and they come in for, you know, a few weeks to resolve it. And their bodies get used to doing those activities like golfing or, you know, slow pitch or whatever. And then they're gone. But then when the weather changes again from summer to fall to winter, and now we're raking leaves, putting away garden stuff, uh, you know, shoveling snow, getting into car accidents, then the phone starts to ring again. And so what I convey to those patients, uh, those people that call me, is, um, you know, preparing. So just like any good athlete prepares for their season of races or their season of, of uh, you know, playing their activity, they prepare for it. And they typically are, you know, people that come to my office for minor aches and pains. And that is a hard sell. So I, I think at some point in time during the, the uh, interview, you asked me about some of those, the challenges. And the challenge, you know, the other challenge I've seen in my practice is essentially that, trying to convey that message to people to prepare, you know, to be capable for what it is that they enjoy doing, uh, as opposed to, um, you know, believing that they're, they're still 25 and their bodies are still capable of doing it that way. It doesn't work that way. Charles, I really appreciate you sitting down with me. Is there anything else that you want to touch on? Uh, no, I, you know, I just like I just wanted to say thanks, Kevin, for you know reaching out on Instagram and uh, hooking this up and you know inviting me to your show. Uh, yeah, I, I wish you. Uh, I want to say thank you, and then I wish you success in the future. What's your website or telephone number? Yeah, so if you know. Your viewers want to contact me, uh, they can call me at 780-770-8816 or they can visit our website to find out some more information on our operating hours and our services at www.ibwc.ca and then they can also find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook as well. Well, that's great, Charles. Um, thank you for tuning in today. It's Kevin with Bison Moon Group, Reach the Moon Podcast. Mm-hmm.